If this is your goal, to outperform the market, or if it is your goal to somehow promote better social and environmental outcomes, which I think we need to do, ESG is not delivering it. Terrence Keeley, the author of Sustainable, is on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. It is very unusual for a top executive at a major investment firm to go public about a major policy difference. This week's guest did just that. The policy is ESG investing, which as regular WealthTrack viewers know, stands for environmental, social, and governance strategies. The premise being that companies that follow policies to improve the environment, society, and their governance practices will both perform better in the stock market and have positive results in all three areas. The firm is BlackRock, one of the world's largest investment managers. BlackRock's influential co-founder and CEO Larry Fink has been a major proponent of ESG investing. In his widely read annual letters to CEOs, he has exhorted the leaders of the thousands of publicly traded companies represented in his firm's indexes to adopt ESG standards and report on them in detail. Today's guest is Terrence Keeley, CEO and CIO of 1.6, an advisory firm he founded to, quote, help institutional and high net worth investors optimize the amount of impact in their investment portfolios. He left BlackRock in July of 2022 to publish his increasingly influential book, Sustainable, Moving Beyond ESG to Impact Investing. Larry Fink wrote the book's forward. When Keeley left BlackRock, he was a senior advisor, overseeing relationships with central banks, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, foundations, and other important institutions. Among his many accomplishments, Keeley was selected as a global knowledge broker by CIO Magazine. Keeley told me in his 40-year investment career, he has never advised a client to invest in ESG. I asked him why. All of the institutional clients that I have advised over the years, whether or not they're sovereign wealth funds or university endowments, already have various investment management guidelines that usually operated as a screen or as objective setting. And, and with those objectives already in place, ESG did not add anything more. It was not additive. In fact, in many cases, let's take the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world, Norway, they already had a very clear investment mandate. They could actually not invest in tobacco, but everything else was okay. Uh, and, and candidly, very, very candidly, it has always been my belief, Consuelo, that the asset owner is the boss. What are they trying to achieve? And my goal as a fiduciary has always been, what is the best way for you to achieve those goals? Some cases there was a Catholic screen. In other cases, there was a, sorry, no oil and gas. Those become constraint functions. Away from that, you optimize returns, optimize risk-adjusted returns. ESG never really filtered into that. It was kind of intended to be a, here's a plug and play. We've already thought about the risks. We've already thought about the exclusions. Here it is for you. We, we've already prepared this meal. In actual fact, uh, uh, virtually every client that I covered, ranging from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to Yale Endowment, 
They did not want to see ESG products. They didn't see them as fitting with their overall uh, investment objectives. So what is the problem with ESG? Is, is it that it is exclusionary and therefore that you're missing opportunities that you would have otherwise? There's a big debate right now that is a lively one and an ongoing one, as you know, Consuelo, whether or not ESG is generating excess returns or helping to achieve double bottom line, some type of gains, for social, environmental, lower carbon. And what I came to as a conclusion, it's not how I started out in writing this book, but what I came to as I looked at things very, very carefully, very, very closely, is that the fundamental flaw in the ESG market is the data. The fundamental flaw is that there has been some concept that we can combine environmental, social, and governance material risks, and somehow out of that analysis, usually resulting from a single score, generate some type of signal, some type of alpha producing signal. You, you can Be, beat the market. You can beat the market if you have great ESG data, here's the problem. And right. in fact, the, the Wall Street Journal just published this not that long ago. If you look at the top ESG rating agencies, just take the top six, and you look at the correlations of their recommendation, they're all over the map. The, in fact, the actual correlation of ESG ratings by the major ESG rating agencies is 0.5, which means that they are more as likely to disagree as they are to agree. How can you generate alpha out of a data set that is itself so fundamentally flawed. And let me, ESG takes environmental, social, and governance, mix it all together and gives you a score, a four, an eight, a 16, a double A, a triple A. What does it mean? What does it mean if a company has a triple A ESG score with regard to its investable thesis? It could be expensive. It could still be cheap, but that triple A itself tells you nothing about whether or not that's investable. The largest ETF ever produced, a $2 billion ESG ETF created by DWS in accordance with a new index from MSCI, brand new index. And the thesis of this particular $2 billion ETF, largest in history, is that they will only invest in the top 50% of the companies across a range of indices with regard to their ESG scores. All right, and you're saying the ESG scores are flawed from the get-go, and therefore, as a premise, it's, it is, it's not a solid premise, investable premise. Is that right? We know it from the data. We can actually see that, in fact, there is no ESG strategy, not one, that has actually generated consistent alpha. Now, it's tough to, as you know, I don't need to tell you or any listener, it's tough to beat the S&P 500. Absolutely, to begin with, and, and most active managers do not. I don't like to be seen as a critic of what this market was intending or trying to do. I think its intentions have been very noble. Uh, I also believe, like many noble intentions, it hasn't had the outcome that was presumed or promised. The, the fundamental concept behind ESG investing is that you can do well and do good. You can match or exceed a market index while simultaneously promoting some social or environmental objective. Pick it, you know, uh, greater gender diversity on boards. The data is now clear. They have neither outperformed broad indices over the last five years, 
nor have they actually resulted in any type of, I mean, is climate change fixed? We have $45 trillion in ESG strategies. Are, are we any closer to having a 1.5 degrees by 2050 aligned world? No, Consuelo, we're not. I like to think that I'm an honest broker, a true fiduciary, one who's saying, if this is your goal to outperform the market, or if it is your goal to somehow promote better social and environmental outcomes, which I think we need to do, and everyone has the right to do, ESG is not delivering it. And if we keep doing what we're doing, we will get no closer to solving our great problems. The goal for social responsible investing in the early days used to be, we can get decent results, but you can do good. So my question to you is, isn't that enough? So I think it's great that you bring up socially responsible investing because it is in fact the first cousin or uh, you know the forefather and foremother of, of, of ESG investing. Uh, it is largely based on the same principles. And I think what this does in, in many ways, Consuelo, is puts into stark relief one very clear thing. Investors should use their values to invest. People should not be investing against their conscience. But here's what they cannot do. They cannot assume that that will generate excess returns. Nor should they actually presume that it is solving, necessarily, the underlying problem. Everyone likes to talk about apartheid and see divesting from South Africa actually work. So divesting from an oil and gas company will stop pollution. Or divesting from alcohol, tobacco, gambling, firearms, these are the four sin areas, will somehow stop people from smoking, buying a beer, uh, playing hearts online. It's, it doesn't. So, so we should honor what people's values are, of course, always. I don't think anyone should be investing in any way that is abhorrent to their values. But let's just take armaments right now. Um, you know, I, I can see why people wouldn't want to invest in Lockheed Martin or General Dynamics, but don't we live in a dangerous world? Isn't it becoming more dangerous? You know, the, 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 the wonderful regulators in the European Union recently added nuclear energy back into their ESG indices. Hello, yes. And, and, and this is what helps, I, I think, bringing in Friedrich von Hayek, uh, the fatal conceit. We don't know where the market is going. As you know, the ESG thesis crumbled last year after Putin invaded in the Ukraine and oil and gas stocks flew. How do you know that this is going to happen? You don't. And that gets to the heart of why beating a broad index is very, very difficult. People should invest with their values, always. People should be deliberate about the outcomes that they're trying to achieve, financial and otherwise. As it so happens, ESG has promised to do both simultaneously, do well and do good, and ended up doing neither. So let's have a deep reflection on what has been the underlying premise, as we said. A lot of it was about divesting from industries and expecting that that would change corporate behaviors. It's done no such thing. Well, another part of it, though, as you are well aware of, is that there are activist ESG investors who actually you know, take seats on the board, who are encouraging and pressuring, quite honestly, companies to do certain things. And so 
isn't that effective, though, in determining corporate outcomes and corporate behavior? Has that not worked? I, 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 so this is the fundamental issue of stewardship. And, right. and one thing I would say to all listeners is that when you choose an asset manager, what you very much want to consider is whether or not they share your values and will promote your ideals by participating in the voting of the shares and the corporate governance aspects of that. So for those of our viewers, and I'm sure there are many of them who have invested in ESG funds, what is your advice to them? My advice to them is read the small print. My advice to them is what re-examine what your goals are. Are you in fact trying to lower carbon? Are you in fact trying to have a comfortable retirement? Are you trying to keep your costs low? Are you trying to have your money represent your values while simultaneously generating great returns? It turns out every single one of those scenarios I give you, you'll come up with a different answer in a different fund. I think ESG is going through a, a reckoning uh, at the moment, to some degree an overdue reckoning. And primarily what I would say to investors, the question they should be asking is, are any investment strategies based on some form of divestment or underweighting stocks or avoiding whole industries? Are those actually achieving your goals? I would argue not. I would argue almost certainly not. And I'd also just point out one of the sectors of the market, Consuelo, that I think is particularly wrongly premised is the temperature aligned uh, uh, strategies. This is a group of strategies uh, very much like the ETF that just got launched that only invests in companies that are somehow adjudicated to already be in line with the goals of Paris. Well, the Paris Accords, the climate Paris, Accords. Paris, right. Paris Accord, 1.5 degrees, emissions are on target. Well, it turns out those stocks are already trading at a premium. You know what you always want to own? You want to own a brown company on its way to becoming green, because that's where the value is created. You don't want to own an expensive stock and somehow hope it gets more expensive. Look for the fallen angels. I love to tell the following story about Volkswagen. You probably remember the diesel scandal of Volkswagen 2015, lying about their diesel emissions. They got thrown out of every ESG index. Everybody sold their Volkswagen stock. That was the time to buy it. That was absolutely the time to buy it. You probably remember uh, under new management, they came up with some of the most important battery patents in the automobile industry. One day, Volkswagen stock went up 25% on one day. Uh, the, 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 the overall stock from late uh, 2019 to mid-2021 returned 350%. That was a stock you wanted to own. And that was a stock that was excluded from ESG strategies. Brown to green. Those who want their assets to actually transform the world, do something better for the world, buy a broken down building. Uh, rebuild it, make it lead certified. It's going to be worth a lot more money. Navigate, drive, and invent. You're saying that those are the, the goals the, of, e, of ESG. These are the three broad taxonomies of ESG strategies. Some try to navigate the climate transition. Some are trying to drive change. And some are actually trying to innovate, to, to create whole new technologies. Uh, uh, carbon capture technologies, for example. 
I am particularly dubious about the Navigate strategies, and yet that is 85% of the market. And explain what the Navigate strategy is again. The Navigate strategy is, broadly speaking, looking at those companies that have the good ESG scores, that are the best performers, that are the paragons of virtue in climate or paragons of virtue in social, and just saying, over time, these stocks will outperform. They may. Well, have they not up until now? That's what you're saying, that they have not outperformed. They did not up outperform. Until now. And they certainly did not in the last five years, they haven't outperformed. But prior to that, I can remember ESG investors saying, we finally have the data that shows for the last 20 years that we have outperformed you know, the indexes, uh, the S&P 500. And, and, and there was a reason for that, because the, the ones, the ESG companies that seem to be meeting those standards were largely the big tech companies. Exactly right. And let me say two things about that. In actual fact, the ESG strategies that for years seemed to be outperforming, it was largely a tech strategy. It was largely a uh, growth strategy. I mean, Apple has a much better carbon footprint than ExxonMobil. Here's the problem. Uh, over time, obviously, that reversed. Famously, last year in 2022, when energy stocks were up 60% and the, obviously the tech stocks were down more than 30. But even before that, Consuelo, if you actually looked at a number of the big ESG, I would say, uh, supporters, Morningstar, for example, would talk about their ESG moats, uh, moat strategy. It turned out one stock was driving, one stock was driving most of that outperformance, NVIDIA, NVIDIA. If you took NVIDIA out of that particular strategy, you took, and I'll just say this to, to, to my friends in the ESG movement, do you think the entire thesis of the environmental, social, and governance movement should be based on one stock? Is that enough of a proof of a thesis that now involves $120 trillion mm -hmm. of dedicated assets, if you look at the UNPRIs? I don't think so. And I, I think listeners uh, need to be far more deliberate about what it is they're actually trying to accomplish. And I, I, I hope it's understood that there are many strategies where one can do well and do good, um, where, where, where double bottom line investing is possible. So let's talk about the strategies because first of all, ESG might not be living up to its promises again, of outperforming the indices and actually being effective in promoting you know, good behavior, good outcomes, whatever. But you are by no means getting out of the social responsible investing business at all. Um, and you have a different approach, which you write about in Sustainable. And your firm, 1.6, um, you know, its mission is to help institutional and high net worth investors optimize the impact of their investment portfolio. So what are you advising they do? What are some of the strategies that we can do that where we can outperform and also get the kind of results that we want that we think are, are good for society at large? ESG has proven one thing. There is a huge demand out there, not only on the institutional side, but also on the high net worth side uh, for, uh, amongst asset owners to have their investments make a difference. And I say to them, great news. There's lots of things you can do. 
uh, many more things than I think are, are, are actually presumed. They're not really in the public equity markets, very candidly. We already talked, Consuelo, about how important it is to exercise stewardship when one wants a company like DuPont to be more mindful about the amount of plastic that's ending up in the ocean. Don't sell their stock. Buy the stock and be an engaged uh, shareholder. Mm -hmm. But if you are, in fact, trying to lower carbon emissions, look at the green bond market. Look, look, look at actually some asset classes other than public uh, equity, where it is verifiably the case that your investments are either removing uh, uh, carbon directly from the air, or one of the most important green bond issues in history was Ford Motor Company, when they were changing over their River Rouge plant from producing the Ford 150 truck to the Lightning, to the electric truck. That took place through the green bond market. Isn't that a good thing? Yes, it is, if those are your objectives, if those are your objectives. I, I, I've spent a lot of time and continue to spend a lot of time with, with my colleagues and clients of 1.6, just listening to asset owners. What really is important to you? What, so, so in many cases, gender issues are very important, uh, greater gender equity and, and income inequality. Well, it turns out, yes, it's possible to particularly in early stage investments, support female-owned uh, industries that have great promise for, for, for growth, and that early stage equity uh, investment can be all the difference uh, at the end of the day. That, that is very bespoke, but it's a, it's, it's a great example of doing well and doing good. The, 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 I speak a, a bit about the Sorensen Impact Foundation, one of the largest impact investors in the country. The returns on their private equity portfolio are 64% annualized since inception, including through the end of last year. What is their broad thesis? Their broad thesis is to serve the underserved, typically in healthcare, education, financial services, uh, greater equity ownership. And they have found an opportunity set in that space that is very, very rich. Do you know why? Because they're looking for it. They're being very deliberate about finding that. But project by project, right? Pro so it's very bespoke. Very bespoke, as you said. Very, mm -hmm. very, very bespoke. A another you know, issue that we have in America that I don't need to tell you about is 30 million Americans spend more than 50% of their income on rent. Well, one of the most important and effective ways to, to build wealth uh, in America is to own your own home. And the opportunity set in low-income housing, again, which is very bespoke, um, it generates returns for equity investors, Consuelo, somewhere between 15 and 20 percent, or inflation plus 1,000 to 1,500 percent. Is that a good enough return for some folks? Yes. But let's be clear. We're talking about other people's money. And it's really an issue of what are the asset owners trying to accomplish. I, 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 I would just say that my, my biggest hope is that this active debate on ESG will morph into a much more constructive conversation about what true sustainable investments can do, true impact investments can do with regard to genuine double bottom lines. And Terry, as far as the, again, the investors in ESG funds now, which are, you, you said are not doing what they're supposed to do, they're not achieving their goals, 
what do you suggest that they do with the ESG funds that they're invested in? We need to be more deliberate in our asset selections to make sure that they actually not line up with your goals as well as your asset manager. Terry, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio with all of these values in mind and the objectives of outperformance as well. If I look at my three largest holdings, Apple, BlackRock, and JP Morgan, I feel very, very confident about those companies doing very important things for the world and, and the world to come. Uh, and, and, and they are certainly part of my long-term holdings. Terry Keeley, fascinating conversation. Uh, you have tremendous courage to basically you know, come out uh, and question uh, a very large investment movement, which ESG is. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on your book, Sustainable. Wonderful to be with you, Consuela. Thank you for the invitation. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is read Terry Keeley's book, Sustainable, Moving Beyond ESG to Impact Investing. It covers the history and evolution of stakeholder capitalism and ESG investing, the political, business, and societal pressures of addressing climate change. It brings you up to speed on the debate within and without the movement, how ESG works, why it is failing, and finally explains Keeley's alternative approach, which is impact investing. The sustainable movement is real. It's powerful and it's happening. Sustainable will help you understand it and participate in it if you are so inclined. Well, next week, top-ranked investment strategist Savita Subramanian brings us up to speed on the investment risks and opportunities she sees ahead. In this week's extra feature, Terry Keeley describes the financial Hippocratic Oath movement, which he founded. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable and productive one.